Wonderful to be with you and wonderful to lift up the name of Jesus, isn't it? In all that we are doing, that's, that's the center of everything we are about. Could I just have the, the sort of the, the house lights up a little bit? I like to see people. I know you have to look at me, but I like to look at you as well. So, uh, no, yeah, I really do. I really do. Uh, it's my joy and privilege this morning to um, conclude a mini-series that we've been doing together here in the bridge. And uh, the title of the series, really, so simple, so beautiful, so awesome so profound. Who is this Jesus? And actually that's at the center of everything for us as a Christian community. And I know if you've been around the church for a little while, that seems like an obvious title or an obvious thing to talk about. And yet it is absolutely a non-negotiable idea that actually at the center of the Christian community, what makes the Christian community different from every other community in the world, faith community or otherwise, is that we believe certain things about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the center of our world. And we've been celebrating in this series the fact that Jesus is king, that Jesus is servant, that Jesus was fully man. And today I have the awesome privilege, awesome privilege, and I use that word properly, of speaking about the fact that Jesus is God. And we've been doing that through what we sometimes call the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And one of the mistakes that sometimes we make is we think the Gospels are essentially the same story told four times. But they're not. They're absolutely not. And if we approach the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, thinking, well, isn't this just the same story told four times? We will miss dynamic, unique ideas about Jesus that each gospel writer, each writer of this amazing story wants us to get. In fact, it's four versions of the same person. It's not just the same story told four times. Now, listen carefully to that. It's four versions of the same person. And incredibly, even though these four Gospels are written by four different people at four different moments of history, they come together and form a dynamic picture of who Jesus is, that he is the king, that he is servant, that he is man and he is God. And all of those ideas are absolutely crucial for us if we claim to be followers of Jesus. That's why the Gospels are important. I've been a Christian since I was eight years old. I'm about to turn 56 next month. And actually, I still read the Gospels every day. As part of my everyday reading program of the Bible, I read the Gospels every day. Why? Because they are the image, the picture, the story of Jesus. And not just what he did, but who he is. And as followers of Jesus, we must lean into those ideas. The Gospels contain almost the entirety of the words of Jesus spoken on earth. So we want to really hear who he is and what he is saying to us. And I know that sounds obvious in a Christian community, but I'm meeting Christians who aren't sure who Jesus is. And actually, we need to come back to bedrock ideas and be unashamed about who Jesus is. And in a society that wants us to dial down who Jesus is, the Gospels are telling us to dial that up. The Gospels are saying, no, 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 don't dumb down Jesus. Let Jesus be who he is. And when you let Jesus be who he is, he will not only transform a room, he will divide a room. He will divide a room. 
and he will divide our society and he continues to divide society. And maybe that's why we want to dial him down a wee bit. But actually the gospel and especially the gospel of John doesn't quieten Jesus down. John dials Jesus up. And we're going to see that dramatically this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, in fact, here's what I'd love you to do. As I read this to you, I would love you to stand again and just listen to this passage being read. So I'm going to read from John chapter 1, what's sometimes called the prologue of John or the introduction. And as I read, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand there for a few moments so because I'm going to read it to you, don't, don't worry about looking it up in your Bible. You just listen to me. And here's what I'd love you to do. I'd love you to close your eyes and just listen to the words. Some of you will be hearing these words read to you for the very first time. Others of you in the room, a bit like myself, uh, you've read these or heard these words a million times or so. And the danger is we become very familiar with them. These words are life-changing words. And they are words centered on Jesus. And what the enemy wants us to do is take these words lightly, rush past these words, or become so familiar with these words that we think we know what they say. But actually there's something powerful. Are you ready? Here we go. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, 
who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. Wow. Lord, open our eyes that we would see today Jesus as God. Give us a fresh revelation, O Lord. Even those of us in the room that believe this, may we see it afresh. And Lord, for every single person listening to these words, whether in person or online, Lord, may we have a fresh revelation that Jesus is God. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats. Take your seats. By the time John comes to write his magnificent gospel, the other three gospels in one version or another are already in play. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in some version, is out there. It's been read. It's been copied. It's been uh, circulated amongst the Christian community. And so if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they sound a little bit similar to each other. In fact, sometimes we refer to Matthew, Mark, and Luke as the synoptic gospels. Same viewpoint. And actually, I don't like that idea so much because I think Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as you've hopefully already discovered, have unique viewpoints of Jesus, though they share undoubtedly similar material. When it comes to John, however, John's gospel sounds different. (laughs) It feels different. It looks different. And it's written in a completely different style. If you were to jump from Matthew, Mark, and Luke and straight into John, it's a gear change. It's a massive gear change in the context of how John writes. And and the reason that John's gospel feels so different is because John has one primary agenda, one number one idea that he wants his readers to absolutely get and never, ever, ever, ever forget. And John's agenda, his big idea, is contained for us, ironically, towards the end of the book, where he really, where he really sets that out clearly for us. In John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Let's just take a moment and think about that. All the stuff that Jesus did in the Gospels, John said there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we haven't been able to fit in. Wow, absolutely amazing. Then he says this, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, John is giving us there right at the end of his gospel the reason why he's writing that gospel. Here's what he's saying. I want you to understand Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. And then he wraps it together and he says, and in fact, because Jesus is the Messiah and because Jesus is the Son of God, we can only find true life in him. Wow, that's a massive statement that John is making. He's connecting Messiah, which for his Jewish audience, wow, that was a big idea. God's anointed servant come to earth. But he's saying he's more than just the anointed servant because there had been other anointed servants before Jesus. He's saying he's not just the anointed servant of God. He is the son of God. 
And because he's both the anointed servant of God and the son of God, that means that humanity can find true life through him. Massive idea. It really is huge for us as followers of Jesus. And when you know what John's trying to achieve, because of what he tells us in John chapter 20, then we get a, we get a sense of why he opens his gospel supercharged, right? The other gospels have a sort of a more gentle opening. You know, Matthew leads us into the birth narrative of Jesus through the eyes of Joseph. Mark begins at the baptism of Jesus. And Luke takes us into the birth narrative through perhaps the eyewitness account of Mary. So we've got a a sort of a a lovely introduction to the other gospels. John goes supercharged. It's like fasten your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. And he just blasts into it. And here's what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things have been made, and without him nothing has been made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And if you read John 1, that little introduction, and you hear what John says at the end, you can get those bookend ideas. He's showing us that actually in this servant of God, who is also the son of God, there is life in his name. An idea that he constantly repeats through his gospel. Now, if you've been around the church any length of time, or even, even engaged with the Bible, you might have heard an echo when John begins his gospel in the beginning. Where have we heard that phrase before? And we've heard that phrase before in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And John deliberately does this. This is not an accident. John's deliberately picking on the first book of the Bible when introducing his version of Jesus to us that he wants us to get. And you hear this echo, in the beginning. Where have we heard that before? I know, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. And says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then if you read on, the first creative action of God in the book of Genesis is a word, right? In fact, we have this opening statement, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse two, you've got sort of an introduction to the stuff God's gonna work with. It's empty, it's formless, it's dark, it's chaotic. The spirit is hovering over the face of the deep, verse two. And in verse three, and God said. Come on now. So the first creative act of God is what? Word. And in fact, if you were to read Genesis chapter 1-1 all the way through to Genesis chapter 2 verse 3, that sort of sits together as a section and you were to read those 34 verses, here's what you'll notice. Even in an English translation of the Bible, you'll notice lots of repeat phrases. Phrases that are repeated over and over again. And when you have repeat phrases, especially in the Old Testament, it's like amplification. It's like turning up the volume. It's like God wants you to get certain things. And of all the patterns of words and repeat words that are in Genesis chapter 1, the one phrase that dominates all phrases in Genesis chapter 1 is, and God said. 
And every time God speaks, something transformational happens. Every time God speaks, something changes. Every time God speaks, something dynamically creative and redemptive happens. There is a direct connection between what God wants to do and his spoken word and what that word achieves. And the idea of God speaking is repeated at least 10 times in the first 34 verses of Genesis. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. So it's no coincidence that when John wants to show us who Jesus is, he starts right at the beginning. And he picks up the word idea and he says, in the beginning was the word. And what is word? Well, Here's a, it's a difficult idea for us in the 21st century, but word is this idea. When I speak my words, when I speak my words out, my words are sort of part of me, right? You're hearing words that are coming out of John Andrews. So the words that you're hearing are part of me. But when they come out of me, they do two things. They separate from me, but they represent me. So my words are part of me. I can't divorce myself from my words, but yet when they're spoken, they, they embody the ideas that I'm trying to present, but they're all so distinct. They, they take on, as it were, a life of its own. And this is exactly what John's trying to link us to. He's saying that when we look back in the beginning and God said, and the Holy Spirit is hovering, waiting for the Word of God, that Word that is being released is not just words, it's the word. It's, it's the word that I'm talking about now. It's the word of God given to us. And John picks up this idea. And when he then lands it in his introduction, we notice three amazing things. We notice, first of all, that the word was there in the beginning. In fact, the implication is the word is there before the beginning. So we may conclude the word is eternal. The word has an existence before existence. Hard idea. But it's there. The second thing about the word, he was with God. He's distinct from God. He's not just God, he's with God. Therefore, there's a separation there. And then it tells us the word is divine. He was God. So when John introduces his beautiful prologue to us, he begins it with the words in the beginning. Let me read it to you again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He's emphasizing twice the beginning. Why? Because he wants to show us that the Word that was spoken back in Genesis, although it's hard for us to understand, is the Word we're now seeing in front of our very eyes. That there's a connection between the Genesis Word of God that brings redemption and transformation and the word that we are now seeing today. And John is setting up this incredible image of this person we're about to meet. He wants us to understand that the person we're about to engage with is none other than the word of God who was eternal before time began, who is with God, distinct from God, but is God, he's divine. Wow, big ideas that he's introducing to us. Now, if John left it there, our heads would just melt, right? But he doesn't leave it there. In fact, he takes it one step further. And he says this in verse 14. The word, this word that he's introduced to us, does what? He became flesh. 
and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. Who Verse 14 throws us back to Exodus. Literally can be translated to tent or abide with us. It's like God takes his tent among us. Now, if you've been around the church any length of time, or you've read a little bit of the Bible, that will ring an echo in your ear. Hold on a minute. He says, make me a tent and put the tent in the middle of the community. And when you build that tent, put up that tent, I'll live in that tent as a sign that I wouldn't need any help to get. The Jews in the audience of John will go, whoa, hold on a minute. So the biggest ideas in the introduction of the Bible. And he's linking that back to Genesis, the spoken word of God. Then the word came and tented himself among us. My goodness, yes, God tented himself among us in Exodus. Now it seems that whoever John is about to introduce is not only the God of creation, but he's the God of covenant. He's the God who wants to come and live amongst people. He's the God who wants to touch people and change people. He's not just a creator God, a way out He's now the covenant God who wants to come among people and touch them and change them. Wow, supercharged so far. And then John lands the whole idea by telling us who this word is. This word who was at the beginning. This word who's now tented among, well, who is he? John tells us, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. John now lands this thing. He introduces the word. Jen is the embodiment of the creator God. His glory. Things that people couldn't see before. They're now able to see. Wow. So what have we learned so far? We've learned from John's introduction that the Word is eternal. It was there in the beginning. We've learned from John's introduction that the Word is God. That the Word was with God. In other words, distinct from God. That the Word became human and tented among us. That that Word is Jesus. And therefore the conclusion, Jesus is God. A huge, challenging idea. And John is working really hard at this in his introduction because he's about now to unpack the amazingness of this God in flesh in front of us. He's about to tell us incredible stories that are important for us to get. And they're not just random stories. Everything that John is about to tell us is with this idea in mind. The Word is Jesus. The word who lived amongst us is Jesus. And Jesus is not just a human. He's not just a great teacher. But Jesus is God himself. The son of God made flesh among us. And everything that John is about to tell us fits in to that agenda. Because here's what John believes. Jesus is the Messiah. God's anointed servant. Jesus is the son of God. So not just a servant, but the Son of God. And it's through Jesus that humans find life in his name. In other words, John is saying, there is no other place where a human can find true life except through this Messiah, Son of God person. And he's about to show us why that is so important to us. Is this making sense so far? Okay. So when John writes his gospel, here's what you'll discover. He loves the number seven. 
Loves it. It's everywhere. And to a Jewish audience, the number seven is really, really important. The number seven speaks of completeness. Speaks of wholeness. It can even speak of perfection. And it also is often a number directly associated with the work of God in the scripture. So number seven is really, really, really important. And John picks this number up in his gospel in the most remarkable way. But why? Well, let's go back to Genesis again. I think John is influenced by Genesis. Now stay with me, this will feel a bit technical, but it's worth hanging in there for this little idea. If John links Jesus to the beginning, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning God created, then maybe there's other things in Genesis that John is grabbing. And when we go back to the book of Genesis, and especially that first 34 verses, which cover the first seven days of creation, there are millions of sevens. Sevens are everywhere in the context of this Genesis account. For example, verse 1 of Genesis 1. In our English Bible, it's 10 words. In the Hebrew Bible, it's seven words. The Bible opens up with a perfect seven-word statement. When you go to verse 2, verse 2 is two sentences of seven words. We're introduced to this pattern again. When God saw in Genesis chapter 1, he saw seven times. When God made, he made seven times. When God declared something to be good or very good, he declared it seven times. And when God made the universe, he did it in seven days. Wow. And even when we get to the seventh day, the seventh day is mentioned three times. And every time the seventh day is mentioned, it's in a perfect seven-word sentence in Hebrew. Three times. We've got three seven-word sentences. Now, that could just be a coincidence. That could just be a fluke. Or the writer who writes Genesis is making a dynamic point to us that what you're observing is not just accident or fluke or fate. What you're observing is the intentional actions of God to do something very deliberate, very glorious, and very amazing. And that this creator God, everything he's doing in those seven days is completely intentional. And the point of the repeat of seven over and over again, it's pointing to the fact that only God can do this. This is not a human doing all this cool stuff. This is God doing this. John picks up sevens in the most remarkable way. Now listen to me. Some of you are looking at me. There's not a notebook in the place. So I'm urging you to listen to this podcast after this. I'm urging you to take note of these seven patterns in the gospel of John and think about them, reflect on because John isn't just writing a story. He's not just writing a fourth version of the same story. He's writing something that will feed and nourish the Christian community for millennial to come. That when the storms come about who Jesus is, we go back to the gospel of John and we say we know who Jesus is. He is the son of God because this is repeated over and over and over and over again. That this idea that Jesus is God is not just a cool idea, it's a God idea, and that God wants us to get this. And I'm urging you 
to do that. I'm urging you to get your pens and your notebooks out, listen to this podcast again and write this stuff down and memorize this stuff if you can and make it part of your confession as a Christian. Because when we're encouraged, encouraged to speak the name of Jesus, you've got to know what you're speaking. It's not just a name. It's a person. It's a person. When I was, oh Jesus, it's not magic. It's not abracadabra. If I just say the name of Jesus, no, no, we're speaking who we know. He is the son of God. He's the savior. He's the king. He's the servant. There is no one in the universe like Jesus. We are speaking the name of Jesus. So it's not just abracadabra, Jesus. We're not into superstition. We're not being superstitious when we say Jesus. We are confessing when we say Jesus He is God. And when we invite the God who is Jesus into our world, things can change. You with me? Does that make sense to you? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Forgive me. Well, no, don't forgive me for my passion. I don't want you to forgive me for my passion. This God who became flesh changed my life. This God who became flesh saved me from hell. This God who became flesh has revolutionized my future. Revolutionized my future. And I refuse to be apologetic about being passionate about Jesus. Come on, come on. Because when we see this, it's life changes. How does John use sevens? Wow, amazing. Once we get to the end of John's introduction, verse 18, the rest of John chapter 1 from verses 19 to the end of the chapter, John gives us seven titles of Jesus. Lamb of God, verse 29 and verse 36. Son of God, verse 34. Rabbi, verse 38. Messiah, verse 41. Jesus of Nazareth, verse 45. Son of Man, verse 49 and 51. And King of Israel. Now you can check all those up later on the podcast, but they're all there. Seven, is that a coincidence? Is that an accident? Or is John now trying to get our attention? Is he trying to show us something about this Jesus? It doesn't stop there. John then introduces seven miraculous signs that Jesus does in his gospel. Five of them are unique to John's gospel. He takes two from the other gospel source materials. And here they are, changing the water into wine, chapter 2, unique to John's gospel. Healing the royal official's son, chapter 4, unique to John's gospel. Healing the paralytic by the pool, chapter 5, unique to John's gospel. Feeding the 5,000, he shares that with the other gospels. And here's a little clue when you're reading the gospels. If all the gospel writers share a story, pay extra special attention to that story because something is being said that makes all the gospel writers share that story. Very powerful. Walking on the water, chapter 6. He shares that with the other gospel stories. Healing the man born blind, chapter 9. Unique to John's gospel. Raising Lazarus from the dead, chapter 11. Unique to John's gospel. And here's what I'd love you to do. I'd love you to take the time and look at each of those seven signs. Because each of those seven signs aren't just amazing miracles that Jesus does. But John is using them to say something about Jesus as God in flesh. He wants you to get something about Jesus. He wants you to under, I mean, this is a series all on its own. The seven signs of John. We could spend seven weeks on each of those signs and lean into what it's teaching us about Jesus, the Word made flesh. But he doesn't stop there. 
He then introduces to us seven I am statements. In fact, there are, depending how you translate the text, more than seven I am statements. But the big seven that stand out, all unique to John's gospel. No other gospel writer has these. John says, I am the bread of life, chapter 6. I am the light of the world, chapter 8. I am the gate for the sheep, chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life, chapter 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life, chapter 14. I am the true vine, chapter 15. And to a Jewish audience, they are hopping around now. Why? Because that statement, I am, is massive, loaded statement. And the I am who introduces himself to Moses in Exodus, the I am who's about to come down and deliver people from slavery, the I am who's about to demonstrate his signs and wonders, introduces himself to to Moses. Moses said, well, who shall I say sent me? And God says, I am. Who does that mean? I am. I was, I is, I always shall be. I am. That's the best way he can explain it. And it's kept theologians baffled for thousands of years because we cannot fully fathom the I am of God. And here's Jesus in John's gospel. The word who became flesh, the the, the God who created the universe. Here he is taking the I am spoken to Moses, spoken to the deliverer, spoken to the Moses who brought the law, introduced to us in John chapter one. And now Jesus bringing grace and truth declares himself to be the I am. The I am seven times. That's a study all on its own. We could rock our world for seven weeks looking at each and every one of those because they're saying something, not just about what Jesus did, but they're saying something about who Jesus is. And who Jesus is is crucial. Does he with me? But John doesn't leave it there. He presents us with seven witnesses throughout the gospel that declare his deity, the deity of Jesus in a unique way. Let me give them to you. John the Baptist in chapter one says, I have seen and testified that this is the son of God. Unique in the gospel of John. Nathaniel says in chapter one, Rabbi, you are the son of God. That's unique to John's gospel. Peter says in chapter six, after the feeding of the 5,000, we believe and know that you are the holy one of God. That's unique to John's gospel. Uh, Jesus himself, speaking of himself, says, I and the Father are one. That's unique to John's gospel. Martha, unique to John's gospel, says, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thomas, when confronted with the resurrected Jesus, says, my Lord and my God, unique to John's gospel. And John himself becomes the seventh witness. He becomes the one who says, I'm writing this to you so that you will believe. That Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, and through believing in him, you will have life in his name. Seven witnesses, seven titles, seven signs, seven I am's, seven witnesses. And when John's gospel comes to us in the 21st century, 21 chapters, three times seven is the answer. Three times seven. Just as the Genesis story concludes on day seven with three perfect sentences of seven words in Hebrew, John's gospel concludes with 21 chapters of three times seven. Wow, that's lucky, right? Come on, you're a hard crowd to impress, I have to say. 
you really, really are. And we really need to understand that John isn't just rocking up thinking, what can I write about Jesus? I'll just tell a few wee stories about Jesus and bless people. No, 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 no. He's moving us way beyond that. And he's saying to the community of faith, you need to know who he is. When all hell breaks loose, you need to know who he is. When the world is against you, you need to know who he is. When you're on the top of the mountain, you need to know who he is. When you're in the darkest valley, you need to know who he is. Because who he is, is the one thing that's going to hold us for all eternity. Who he is, not what I feel, not what I think, not what I like, not what I don't like, but who he is. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the, that's the deal breaker right there. And we can talk about Jesus to everybody out there and we can talk about Jesus as a good teacher and everyone thinks that's cool. And we can talk about Jesus out there as a really nice man and as a, a man who helped the broken and, and helped the sick. And, and everyone will, will line up. The minute you say Jesus is God, the room splits. Because that's the one idea, the one idea through which we have life. We don't have life because Jesus is a cool teacher. We don't have life because Jesus was a nice man. We don't have life because Jesus was a healer. There have been cool teachers and healers throughout the history of humanity. We have life in Jesus because he's the only human who was also 100% God. Fully human, fully God. And it's that basis we have life in his name. That's why we must not let this go. That's why John's gospel is so crucial. That's why every Christian should study John's gospel. Are you with me? So why is this important as I draw this to a close? Band, do you want to join me? If you could do that as quietly as possible. Sorry, I mean that really, because I'm landing. This is really important as we land. But I wanted to be ready, because we're going to finish with an amazing song of declaration and worship. Why does John do this? Why is this important to John? John links Jesus to the creation. In the beginning, links it back to the creation. Why? Because John wants to introduce a recreation motif, a recreation idea. The creation that was destroyed by sin, the creation that was ruined by people's disobedience to God, the creation that was corrupted by selfishness and ego, this creation is going to be recreated in Christ Jesus. He is now the God who is going to recreate. Only God could make the universe according to Genesis chapter 1. And what's John saying? He's saying only God can create the way to salvation. Only God can speak light into the darkness and speak order into the chaos and speak speak purpose into the emptiness and only God can speak light into the darkness of humanity, can speak order into the chaos of humanity and speak substance and purpose into the brokenness of humanity. Only God can do it. In the same way that in Genesis 1, only God can make the universe. Now John is saying only God can save humanity. And John wants us to know, and this is so important for us, and I want you to remind, it, remind all of us of it, including myself and people online. He wants us to know that Jesus is not just a good teacher. He is the Word. Come on, he's not just a good teacher. He's the teacher. He's the Word. He's the Word of God. And he's not just pointing away to 
uh, as it were, the way to life. He is the way because he is the word. So important. Because our world wants us to compare the teaching of Jesus to the teaching of other wise teachers. And that's cool. I'm happy to have that conversation all day long. But the difference is, we're not comparing oranges to oranges here. We're not comparing the same thing. We believe that Jesus was not just a great teacher, but that Jesus is the Word of God. Above and beyond all teachers, whoever they are. I know that's not popular today. I know that will eventually get us in trouble one day. I know that we may even be censured for things like that in the future. But it's what John says. It's what I believe. And it's what I am uncompromisingly committed to. He's not just a good teacher. He is the word. Come on. John teaches us that he wasn't just sent from God. He is God. Jesus is God. This is so important. He is God. He's not just telling us the truth. He is the truth. He's God. He's God. And because of that, there is no one like him. He stands apart from every person in human history. There is no one like Jesus. And this is the one idea that our world and our society and the pluralistic do what you want, believe what you want, society wants us to dial down on because that's the idea that's making the world awkward. That's the idea that makes our conversations awkward. Don't all roads lead to God? Don't all pathways lead to enlightenment? Well, actually, according to John's gospel, no. Because there was only one God. And that God became flesh to show us the way to God. To show us that he is the truth to God. To show us that he's not just sent by God, but he is God. John's teaching us that Jesus is not just a servant, but he is the Savior. Come on now. He's not just offering us life. He is life. (laughs) Come on now. He's not just showing us the way. He is the way. He's not just telling us truth. He is truth. He's not just offering us life. He is life. Jesus is not a signpost to somewhere. Jesus is the signpost. He's not just pointing us in a direction. He is the direction. He's not just giving us clever ideas. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the way. And that is so important to us. And that's by no, I'm not trying to be derogatory of any other other person's belief or any other person's persuasion or a conversation around what other people believe and practice. I have no, no problem with any of that. But this is what I believe in practice. And I believe in practice something that is based in the gospel, something that is based in the word of God, something that says Jesus is not just king and he's not just a servant and he's not just a man, he's God. He's God. And in fact, if we didn't have John's gospel ramming that word home, all the other cool bits that we've just looked at make no sense whatsoever. It is the Jesus is God bit that makes keen sense. It's the Jesus is God that makes servant dynamic. It's the Jesus is God that makes the man idea stand out. It's the Jesus is God is the idea that's going to survive all ideas. He's the son of God. That's why I worship him. Don't worship him because I've got a blessed life. 
Listen to me now. As an eight-year-old boy, I got a revelation in my old street city mission. As I knelt down at those little pews and gave my life to Jesus, I got a revelation that Jesus was the Son of God. That's why I'm a Christian. I'm not a Christian because I've got money. I'm not a Christian because I'm blessed. I'm not a Christian because I live in a nice house. I'm not a Christian because I have a nice car. I'm not a Christian because I've got material benefits of being a Christian. I'm a Christian because I've come to this conclusion. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That's why I'm a Christian. And that's why no matter what happens, circumstances change My house changes, my badge changes, my life changes, my money changes, my pension disappears or doesn't disappear. God knows what's going to happen in the next while. That doesn't change because Jesus is the Son of God. That's why I can worship on the front row because Jesus is the Son of God. That's why I can lift my hands in the pain because Jesus is the Son of God. That's why I can sing in the darkness because Jesus is the Son of God. That's why we can stand when everything else around us is falling apart, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. He is the Son of God. No cool stories today. Just truth. This is truth. This is truth. This is truth. And we as the Christian community must lean into this truth. Listen to John's words. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why don't you stand with me? as the band is about to lead us in a song, I am going to pray for you. If you're here and you are not a follower of Jesus, listen to me very, very carefully. It is a revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, is is the thing that we need to get. Thank God we're part of a great community, surrounded by people who love us. But you go to other places in Bolton and find great community and find people who love you. Being in a great community and having people who love you is not the issue. That's a simply a byproduct of hopefully something good that we've got. The issue is, what do we believe about Jesus? The issue is, is Jesus the Son of God or not? Jesus said to his young disciples, who do people say I am? And they come up with all sorts of stuff that was out there. And then he nailed them and he said, now what about you? Who do you say I am? Because who you say he is changes everything. And if you say he's the Son of God, then that revelation is the game changer. That's what we need. As we go back into a broken world, we need the revelation. Jesus, you are God. You're not just a good teacher. You're God. You're not just sent by God. You're God. You're not just a servant. You're God. And because you are God and because you became flesh and because you lived among us and because you died on the cross for us, we can have life in your name. So Lord Jesus, I pray that for every single person listening to these words, a fresh revelation of your godness will come to us, Lord Jesus. Forgive us, O Lord, if we have become familiar with these ideas. Oh, Jesus is God. But Lord, help us to see a fresh revelation of why these ideas are so important. We thank you that God the Son became human flesh for us and surrendered his life for humanity in a way that only you could fulfill. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, let a fresh revelation 
for each one of us come today that Jesus is God. A revelation that will help us to sing in the darkness and proclaim in the difficulty. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't yet know you, Lord Jesus, that a revelation that you are the Son of God, that you are the Savior of the world, that you are God in flesh who came to save each one of us, that will be a revelation that will change our lives. And so, Lord, we lift you up. And we declare that you are Lord. And we declare that you are God. And we declare that there is no one like you. And we declare, Lord Jesus, that you are Alpha and Omega. You are A and Z. You are beginning and end. You are first and last. That you are the God who was, you are the God who is, and you are the God who is to come. We declare, Lord Jesus, that you are the creator and the sustainer of the universe. We declare, Lord Jesus, that you are the one true and living God. And we declare, Lord Jesus, that you are my Lord, our Lord, and our God today. And we lift you up in this place and we pray that this community will be a community that knows and celebrates this one glorious truth. That above all names, your name is. That above all people, you reign. That above every principality and power, you are Lord. And that you are God. And that you are our Lord. And that you are our God. In Jesus' name.